From Live Consulting, this is Cannabis Business Minds with your hosts, Kristen Yoder and Simone Simaluka Radzins. On this episode of Cannabis Business Minds, we compare retail strategies between consumer packaged goods and cannabis products. What's the same? What's different? And why should we care? Yes, this is a very interesting topic because there are so many sneaky little psychological tricks that retail centers, shopping malls, grocery stores use. And grocery stores specifically are very interesting psychology, very, very sneaky people. And it's not just retail or grocery stores. It's everything. I mean, it's it's marketing. But why we did this episode is really to compare CPG and cannabis uh, and why those are a little bit different. Yeah, so let's start out with um, a couple of my favorite sneaky yeah. ways yes. that, the, that the grocery store Drum roll. uses. Okay, okay, tell, tell, tell. So one I just found that was really interesting, I wouldn't have even thought, but in some grocery stores, they use smaller tiles Mm -hmm. in aisles with higher priced products, and the tiles make your cart sound louder, (laughs) and it makes you want to slow your cart down so you're not making such an obvious sound, and therefore, perhaps... Make purchase a, a higher priced item. So like I'm rolling down the supermarket at Whole Foods and I'm like in the wine aisle then all of a sudden it's like this like premier Pinot Noir or something like that and that's going to stop like the the cart might like there might be tiles on the ground that would stop the cart or alert you not they, stop it. That would make you more everyone more aware of your presence so yeah. it's like you know, when you're driving or you're pushing the shopping cart with mm-hmm. the messed up wheel, mm-hmm. one of them, and then it's like really loud, and you're like, oh, it's so like yep. embarrassing. It's the reverse one. Wow, that's crazy. That's I've crazy. Never heard that's that strategic, one. and this this is so it's strategy beyond what people think is strategy. Exactly. And then one of the things we were talking about yesterday was that in American culture, you know, when you're going into a retail shop, we tend to shop the store counterclockwise so when you go in imagine you're going into the door you take the right and you don't take the left now I take the left but maybe that's because (laughs) I enter the left entrance yeah you know but maybe I I don't know but that's crazy well it's crazy because then if if a company knows that that's the decision you know pattern that a consumer takes then they can strategically place items to know, okay, well, maybe she's not going to make the full loop, put in the high-priced products or something at the very beginning. Because what did you find in grocery stores? Well, with that said, I had found that they will place shiny objects along the way in the counterclockwise motion to catch your eye. Because humans like shiny things. <laughs> I am one of them. All of us, apparently, Yeah, are... show me, like, some holographic box or something. I'm all about the prisms. Oh, yeah, I save cool boxes. Yeah. I don't know if that's a cannabis person thing or not, but you can never have enough boxes because yeah. they stack on top of each other. Yeah. But another thing, there's always a line at the grocery store to get out, and it seems like they always call someone up to the register to move people. Yeah. But I read that 
they do it on purpose because they want you to buy those, uh, what are they called? Oh. Impulse buys. Oh, and I do. I, yeah. It's gum for me. I'm like, oh, God. I know. You're, you're a gumaholic. Yeah, you wait like five minutes and you're like, oh, God, there's some gum. I'm going to get it. Like, why not? Exactly. So it's all very strategic and very thought out in a way that these brands really have understood their avatar, their clients, to basically build something that will make them the most revenue on that individual purchase if that if that consumer does the purchase. It's not even that. I mean, in, in grocery stores, they have little tiny cameras that track your eyes to mm-hmm. see what are you looking at? How long are you looking at something? That seems like that's a little invasive. I read that Kroger, wow. Kroger has heat sensing technology that will show Mm -hmm. where you're at in the store and how long I believe stand there I believe it though because even for Calagia and if people are listening and I mean clearly this economy is completely digital based right so our websites are our real estate it's how we communicate with people if we aren't in a retail store right so for Calagia and we actually should do this as well um, you can install a map on your website to know where people are hovering and spending the most time so like in this weird way if you can figure out how to talk to a consumer online which is what people are paid thousands of dollars to do, it's probably, I'd be curious how similar it follows, like, the grocery store. Well, I had also read something about some sort of software that could tell when a woman is pregnant. Oh, my God, tell this this story. Yeah, there's a 17-year-old girl who, based on her purchasing history, uh, things she might have looked up, I'm not even totally sure, but... Target figured out that she must be a pregnant woman and sent her a coupon book filled with <laughs> pregnant women discounts on stuff. Like, like strollers, Exactly, diapers. and her father found it and was like, Are you pregnant? Why is this coming here? And then she had to admit she was pregnant. But that is creepy. That is. That is a ton of money. In marketing analytics. Uh, and that's like perfect. I was just about to segue because I'm thinking people are like, wait, this is cannabis business minds. Like, yeah. why are they talking about pregnant women at Target? Well, and the point that we want to make in this episode is that the numbers are speaking for themselves. Like, these companies are investing. You probably know the stat better than me. Isn't it about 20% of their revenue on total marketing, right? So imagine whatever, a million dollars of total revenue, 20% of that is going to marketing. And of that 20%, I want to say it's like 57% is going to this strategy that we're talking about. Which is crazy. I mean, it's totally believable, but it's also crazy. But there's, so when we ask what's the same, what's different, Mm -hmm. why should we care? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what's different is a consumer packaged good doesn't have a salesperson in the store. Where they place their item, what they're next to, what their packaging is, Mm -hmm. every single thing is extremely strategically well thought out. And And tons of money put behind that to make sure that they can sell it as much as possible without anyone physically selling it because Kroger is not going to go say hey Kroger employee you know what I want you to be very incentivized to sell that great coca-cola or whatever right unless 
hardly doubt it. Maybe there's an incentive with Coca-Cola. No, I've never been to a grocery no, store. No, and been and, upsold. And be, no, not at no. all. And I don't think being in a clothing store where they help you bring you clothes. I, I've never been upsold well, in, a, in a shopping experience unless it's like Best Buy or something. Exactly. It, or like they're incentivized through a bundle. I remember one of my first jobs, and this is, you know... We let's apply this to the cannabis industry is like people kind of forget about the the strategy behind bundling things, right? So maybe you've got three products, one doesn't really sell that well, but it's an intro to something, or you just want to increase the the value of that purchase per that customer. Bundling is a huge thing. And I remember when I had my first like job, it was like at Hollywood Video in Portland, Oregon. And I was like always the employee of the month because I was always bundling these things. I was always bundling these like packages. And so bundling is something kind of interesting that, yeah, but I mean, really, you're not really seeing the incentive being by the manufacturer to really upsell the product. Mm -hmm. And and with that, there is a grocery store. It's got Mm -hmm. tons of aisles. It's very large. There are different ways to go. They have different sections, but... In comparison to a dispensary, it's completely different when it yeah. comes to, there's like one room. Generally, it's not like you have a bunch of aisles in the dispensary where you can choose things. I mean, in Washington, you can't even touch the products whatsoever. They're all behind the counter against mm-hmm. the wall. And, Oregon the same. Yeah, and bud tenders... For all of these manufacturing companies, all of these cannabis product companies, Mm -hmm. all of them know, and if they don't know, that's a shame, but all of them know the bud tender is your salesperson. If you don't train the bud tender, if you haven't sold the bud tender, they're not selling you. Yeah. So that's an incredibly different approach where, true, packaging makes a huge difference, but... It's the, it's the actual sales. And then if you even think about that further, like these new markets of adult use are opening up a new consumer that is not educated. Yes. And so they might not have come into the dispensary knowing and seeing the marketing that these cannabis companies might have done via social media, mm-hmm. via sponsorships, being, you know, the, you know, the traditional outlets that these guys are able to do because it's still federally legal. They're going into the dispensary. They're asking a bud tender and heavily relying on the decision of that bud tender. And having managed a dispensary for five years. Yeah. If someone, I mean, most of the time when people came in, even if they had been there before, I like, I compare it to tabula rasa, which means a blank slate in Mm. your mind. Just... They come in, they're like putty in your hands, you know? They really turn off their executive functioning, and you can tell them whatever. They don't know. Unless you know, you really don't know, you know? And then you go in there. <laughs> That's our favorite quote. I know. I, I no, swear to no. God. It's really important, and I want to emphasize that, like, you only know what you've been taught, and if you haven't been taught anything, you don't know much, right? You can only make some perception. And so this person not knowing anything goes into a bud tender and they're listening. Especially when there are other people in the room that do know what they're talking about. It's a fairly intimidating experience first, second, third time in a dispensary unless you have 
good stuff or, you know, some sort of strategy to make people feel way more comfortable and more educated. Yeah. But it truly is down to the bud tender. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that people understand data is so important. Mm-hmm. But what's behind the data, right? Exactly. I mean, so there's like two things I want to talk about. First one is, I'm sure people are listening like, well, no, I mean, I, there's platforms to give the patients more information about strains. Yes, there are. Yeah, if they use the internet. If they use the internet, even if they do, they're still overwhelmed because they're going to go to the dispensary. They might have seen Gorilla Glue, and then they go to this dispensary with shiny objects that we talked about. They don't know how to make an accurate decision, but to make their decision, they still have to go talk to the bud tender. And they can't go, oh, I never thought about this. God forbid the bud tender isn't educated. Which is most of the, Well, I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody out there. But from my experience, it's more, it's very nice to have an educated bud tender. Absolutely. But education, again, is an it's, interesting point of discussion. Because mostly, it's federally illegal. Well, not only that, though, but also... The education tends to be left up to the product manufacturing companies to mm-hmm. come in and really train the bud tenders mm-hmm. to be their advocate for the product. Yeah. And I think that's like a perfect segue into, you know, how do you marry these two? Because in a traditional CPG setting, tons of do- tons of marketing dollars are spent on, you know, product placement, and actual traditional advertising. And incredibly advanced technology. Yeah, and just strategy, right? And here in the industry, I feel that what I've seen on a much more representative, tons of focus, well, in regulated markets, much more in Facebook, Instagram, social media, which is still scary because legally you can't advertise cannabis. Well, half the time they shut you down. Yeah, so that's like one. Sponsorships is another. And then, I mean, from your experience working in product development and, you know, having, you know, the cannabis side, I mean, you know firsthand a lot of it is spent on a lot of money is product development, research, marketing, and packaging. But what's interesting is mm-hmm. research is not a oh, common thing. Really? It, in my experience, a lot of cannabis manufacturing companies are ran by non-cannabis people. And people tend to make assumptions or maybe they're like, oh, I really like this. That's a great idea. Or like, hey, that brand is doing this. We could do it better. Mm-hmm. But there, up until recently, hasn't been any shopper data. There's been no sort of place to find this information to do the research anyways Mm -hmm. and you're like left to go on weed maps and see oh this product is in so many I mean how do you even figure it out yeah I mean you to figure out where a product is it's like you have to go now on their website see what dispensaries they're in you can't I, I don't know maybe it exists and we're just not aware of it well there are the there are now data website people oh like bds analytics exactly yep well and so that's interesting i I do want to talk about some of the stats that are out there i was just like preparing for this um there was an article so 
BDS analytics, we have got to get Liz on the show. Yes. Um, is basically, and she'll be able to talk to it a lot more, but that is where data junkies want to go. You will be able to access the data to give you consumer insight, right? So to understand what is the best selling strain, to understand what is the best edible manufacturer, and then understand kind of what's the market. Mm-hmm. And that's huge because we still don't really know what the true cannabis market industry is. $21 billion by 2020, but with clearer data like this, you can clearly kind of be able to estimate a bit better. And I, I don't know if Los Angeles specifically is anything like the rest of the country, but in this city alone... You have every kind of demographic mm-hmm. you can imagine when it comes to the cannabis consumer. There are people that are about how much does it cost, yeah. you know, or how potent is it, or yeah. how cool does it look, like how how high is the quality. They're yeah. not the same consumer. No, it's knowing your avatar. The dispensaries are not the same Mm-mm. advertisers, and the bud tenders are not the same Mm-hmm. people to speak to the people you want and without having data yeah then how do you know if you were to go into a place like Los Angeles where to sell your products where do you focus your marketing efforts yeah absolutely and that's why you have to plan and strategize and be able to see that and i think one common area of improvement we see with our clients is that we're like, focus on one client. Mm -hmm. Focus on, okay, what's your product? Who's it talking to? And utilizing the 80-20 principle, where do you focus? Yes. I think so many people need to kind of be focusing on that a little bit more. Especially when there are several different ways you can go and no one to really tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. And I think almost every company at some point, especially when they're younger, wants to be everything to everyone. And by doing that, you are nothing to anybody. The point is, is figure out what you do and do it the best you can. And be great at that. And then maybe expand. But know who you're going after. 100%. Know what they look like, what they drive, what do they eat. That sounds crazy, but these things... Everything influences us. Yeah, and just like trying to tie this back to our original thing, it is so strategic. The fact that there are companies that are spending, I'm going to tell you, it was $225 billion annually on marketing um, CPG manufacturers, right? I mean, that is significant spend. And so strategy is there. And without a true strategy, um, understanding kind of the retail market, it's going to be really hard to sell your product. Have you ever seen grocery store marketing? I don't know what it's called. It's it's called a planogram, which is how you design your shelving. Mm-hmm. You know, like what do you put next to what? It's called a planogram. Mm-hmm. I've actually seen it a few times in my life where these are the people that come in, they look at the produce department, they're like, Mm. okay, we need to put the flower section over here, add LED lights above the produce to make it more vivid, more contrast. Yep. These people come in and they don't just work off of data. They physically go to these stores and Mm -hmm. get a feel for the shelf space, competitors, everything before they pay to put their product in there yeah then i don't 
I don't think that happens with cannabis companies other than you send your sales rep in once. Well, yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting because I think there's almost like two, two points to this discussion, right? Are you a retailer or are you a manufacturer, cultivator trying to get your product in, right? And so for the retailer... I know that there's a lot of like design, like dispensary designers, and I'm sure they probably go in and do that aspect to it. I'm not actually positive. I've never worked with one, but I know a lot of these guys are spending significant amounts of money designing their dispensary. So I would hope that it would be in an effort to maximize the return. Like, I mean, if you're thinking on adult use profit driven uh, market to maximize the purchase price for that customer, if you're talking business. Having managed a dispensary, yeah. not in a regulated market, maybe I have no idea what it's like now, but yeah. it's all about increasing traffic, yeah. foot traffic, creating an atmosphere that you feel comfortable in, that you want to come back to. Yeah. But it's not about how can we sell these manufacturers' products best. And the pricing is not about getting more money. It's usually just doubling the margins, you know. Mm -hmm. It could have been just my dispensary, but it seems to me that dispensaries are focused on bringing in patients. Manufacturers are focused on Mm -hmm. selling their products. Yep. And the two can work together, but they're not naturally working together. No. And with that, I'm thinking shelf space. Yep. Sometimes you bring in your product and they put it in the display case down in the bottom left corner because that's the only room that they have. Yep. No kids can go there, which we learned that kids, like these uh, CPG places, will put the very, like, kid products on the small shelves because that's where the kids can see. Kid eye level. Kid eye level. And the dispensaries are, is no kid eye level because they yeah. can't go in. Yeah. And as a cannabis brand, mm-hmm. shelf space is important. It, it doesn't have to be a grocery store for that to make the difference. Just because you have a bud tender that might sell your product for you, what if they don't? You know, what if you have great packaging, but you can't see it because it's on the lower left-hand corner of the display case, yep. and they haven't pushed your stock forward when it started running out? Yep. I mean, there are things out of your control as a cannabis company, how would you know why your product isn't selling correctly? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like the analytical companies will tell you, oh, this many sales in this store. And I would challenge everybody to say, well, why? Yeah. it's Is it how many patients are at that store? And my, like, what percentage of my sales for each location are truly based off of, like, is that ratio the same as the actual patients? Meaning, are my sales lower in this store because that store has less patients? Or that store has concentrate-focused patients. Exactly. One place has edible-type patients. What if your package or your product is in between two competitors and... Just because yours is only half full, your POP box is half full. Or you didn't have a POP box, right? Like if you were like the one, you're like, I didn't, like you were focused on other things and you focused on social media and you didn't focus on the POP box, you better. And just with your sales reps, they are extremely important to not only get you into stores and not only maintain relationships with these stores, 
but to guarantee that your brand identity and the way that you are presenting yourself to consumers mm-hmm. is on par with the competition at minimum. I mean, because, yes, absolutely. But how are you going to know when you have BDS analytics and you see your competitor and you at a store, they're selling way more than you are, does that mean that your product isn't as good as your competitors? Or does it mean that your competitor is placed in a more optimal position? Is it yeah. is it the bud tenders prefer your competitors because your competitor gives them commission or some sort of incentive to sell the product. Absolutely. All these are integral to your ROI on marketing. So it's quantifiable mm-hmm. versus qualitative. Yep. So you need more than just data. Yeah, you need to actually understand Feet it. on the pavement. Yes, feet on the pavement. And I would probably reiterate the bud tender is your best friend. Yes. And if you can't educate, so if we already know that statistically speaking, not all bud tenders act the same. Mm-hmm. They don't provide the same insight. They maybe have different views on customer service, how they interact with a customer, all that. If we already know that that's going to be variable across your sales outlets, you better have a plan in place to nurture and cultivate that relationship because those are that's that is your sales force, really. And the cannabis industry is young, but yep. it is an industry... Mm-hmm. Just like any other industry. Mm-hmm. And there are ways to handle business. You don't have to reinvent the wheel to be able to go in and institute KPIs. Yep. I don't know how many companies we speak to that it's they don't even know what a KPI is. I know. And we're like, no, let us help you define them because... Incentives. It's, yeah. I mean, it's all it all goes back to a traditional business practices. It goes back to, okay, understanding what your sales goals are as the manufacturer, understanding what your, you know, store locations are, where your target store locations are, and then assessing each month. And this takes some time, but it pays off what you would expect each of those stores to have. And then, yeah, second to that, I would say your sales data that you get I mean, hopefully you've got a great ERP or some other sort of inventory tracking software, whatever it is that can give you really specific detailed sales reports. So you can go by the region and then by the specific product and then by your customers and see, Mm -hmm. you know. And by the account manager. Yeah, by the rep, everything. But without even having that, how do you even know what your ROI on your marketing spend is? You don't. You don't. And that's where we help people. But I mean, and so I always want to give some tidbits to people that are listening before we wrap this this episode up. Is someone I'm imagining, oh my God, I'm a manufacturer. I am kind of looking at my sales data. I don't even know if I sell more at this store versus that store. What can we tell them right now to give them some advice and some things that they can implement today? Ask. Ask people. <laughs> it's crazy why we think we need to go out there and and be sneaky or do all of this data research and purchase all mm-hmm. of these reports when try being a secret shopper once yep. in a while. Why don't yep. you go in there and ask for your product and see what happens? Yeah, exactly. Obviously, if you're a big company, there's 
way too many stores for that. But yeah. you would be amazed at how much information you can get willingly yeah. by asking questions. And not saying who you are. Don't wear your shirts. Don't be branded. Yeah. It's like undercover boss. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's what we've done for, for clients. Exactly. Because if you do that, I mean, one thing is you might have a sale, a very strong sales force. But we all know that with operations and these startup operations, you're chasing a lot of moving targets. You're trying to put out these fires. And lack of oversight. Exactly. And so maybe the incentives that you're instilling upon your sales team aren't strategically aligned with your vision. So maybe a 10% commission doesn't work. Maybe you should say, oh, a base plus, you know, an incentive if you reach X in this store. And just by changing that small equation of how you incentivize somebody monetarily, they also might be able to see some uh, differences. And that is the incentive within the manufacturing product side. When it comes to the dispensary side, offer the dispensary a gift or something where if they sell so much of your product you'll get them a big screen tv for their waiting room or take them to a vip branded party exactly these guys are a young workforce that are making that are a millennial generation which by the way i went to the startup convention the one that you couldn't go to at ucla they said that the average millennial income which I think is honestly a lot of these guys' avatar. They earn between forty-five and fifty-five thousand dollars a year, and have a lot of school debt, and so their take-home is seven hundred. And that means that that's after they've paid for their rent, right? So that means transportation, insurance, all of these things. So you have to understand, like, understand your consumers so badly because if your price, if you're pricing your product to a millennial at a price that and whatever our generation or in a step more of an established consumer can afford. Holy shit. Like maybe I can't say that on iTunes, but you know, like that's insane. Like you've got to do a little bit of research too. And I think a lot of people believe that if you price something too low, people won't think it's quality. If you price something high, people will think, Oh, well I'd rather get the more expensive, better one. But After leaving the dispensary, I finally realized, like, oh, my God, cannabis cost a ton of money. I (laughs) never had to pay for it before. All of a sudden, I was the consumer, and I was like, how did people come in here every day and tip me on top of buying stuff? Yeah. That's crazy. I will, you know, and there's some studies, like, since we, we research so much, is that alcohol use is down, right? Like, I mean, for the recreational market, People are substituting. And if you go out for a drink in Los Angeles, we just went out for drinks. It was like 35 bucks for two drinks. And so if you think about it, $35 for an eighth, an eighth where you can enjoy with your friends for a while, Yeah, it's it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think our main takeaways, the CPGs know what they're doing. <laughs> Obviously, because they spend billions every year. Yeah. And they've gotten... You know, a grocery store only has about one and a half percent margins. I had no idea. So maybe that's why they are spending so much. Oh, and one other thing: um, grocery carts. Yeah. The ones that say "Smart Cart." Yes. Have a little GPS in them. Oh, I didn't know that. That will track you, and it all comes back to your reward. 
keychain thingy, yeah. your reward number. Which is huge. Dispensary should implement a reward system. Oh, absolutely. To keep track of their customers, yeah. When you come in, it will track your shopping, like, blueprint or wherever you go. And then when you pay, it all goes on to your loyalty card. Mm. I would love... Oh, I would love that. ...to see my data file from Ralph's. Just, they probably know me better than I know myself. <laughs> oh, but they're, like, sending you coupons. I mean, maybe that's what CVS does in this Well, that's way. why CVS is super annoying, because they give you that, like, six-foot-long receipt exactly. with a bunch of coupons on it. But they're always targeted to you. But imagine, yeah. in a perfect world, to wrap this up, like, where you could go to a dispensary... And I guess you'd have to be on a consumer okay with it, but I'm talking if I was the dispensary owner, and you would be able to have a smart shopping. So then they could be able to, you know, work in line with BDS analytics to analyze that data because something is very unique about this market. I don't think we will ever be like CPG. I mean, just the, the sheer fact well, that it's so regulated, there's one outlet that you can go to. Yeah, but CPGs are going to take over the industry probably because they have all the money, they have the distribution, they have everything. They have all the insights. The minute it's no longer Federally. scary. Yeah, yeah. They're going to take over as they do with everything. I'm curious though because the end still the bud tender in the dispensary. So I as long as it's small, yes. Yes. So if I was a cannabis if I still ran a dispensary, I would consider charging more for premium shelf space. I think, I mean, that's the main thing to do. Like, oh, do you want, I, I'm curious if there's any dispensary owners out there or manufacturers. Let us know if this is something that's already going around. I know that for who we're working with, it's not. The I'd best be sales reps come in, they look at the stock, they will pull the product forward. Mm -hmm. They will make sure that when they leave that store... The product is presented at its best. That's like three, three to five percent of sales reps. The rest of them, they're too busy trying to, you know, they're relationship builders. Which relationships are important, but so is appearance, especially when you're overwhelmed yep. as a consumer and you're like, I don't know, there's like fifty chocolate bars. Exactly. So it's and so I guess key takeaways. It's environment. It's environment. Sales data. Sales data and continual to nurture and assess, right? Incentives. And and provide the incentives. And then just before we wrap up, with 280, the fact that you can't deduct sales expense, any selling expense, nor marketing, you better be using your marketing dollars and your sales dollars wisely. Exactly. And how are you going to track the results of your marketing and your sales data if you don't have a robust sales software absolutely so just re, re reiterating reiterating i'm trying to like what is the word yeah know your data know your data and go out into the stores don't be behind the screen and that's where you get all your information put your feet to the pavement walk into these shops walk into the worst selling shops that you you know provide product to and see if you can't do some sleuthing and figure it out. Totally. It's cheap. Cannabis Business Minds is recorded by Kristen Yoder and Simone Similuka-Radsons. 
produced and edited by Gustavo Bolgach at East Venice Recording Studios. Podcast music is by Ketza. You can find more episodes of the show on our website, liv-consulting.com, and you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.